Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, As Pastor Daniel said, we are not in Acts. This morning we will be in the book of 2 Peter. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 is where we will spend our time together. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. One, we live in a world that absolutely loves the subjective. Every individual having their own experience. We love the the authenticity of it. We love the the rawness of it. We, We celebrate it everywhere. You see it in almost every television show, every movie that comes out, every song on The radio, and I wanted to say radio because I don't think it's going to be very many more years before radio becomes outdated, so I want to throw that in. But we want the experience, don't we? We want the feelings. That's what we're all about in our culture, and these have become the standard of truth. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with experience. I would much rather experience a baseball game from inside the stadium than sitting at home on the couch. But but what tends to happen is that the subjective begins to take the place of the objective so that what is true and what is false no longer matters so long as I feel a certain way. So it doesn't matter who wins or loses the baseball game as long as I enjoy myself while at the game. Feelings have become the great arbiter of truth, and they are not to be questioned. And not only does this happen in our culture at large, but it also happens in the church. And I fear that in the minds of many Christians all across the country, potentially across the world, and even in this Church, the default setting for the truthfulness of a doctrine falls squarely on the shoulders of my own personal experience or my own personal feelings rather than, than anything objective. Because, because what matters is really on the inside and not something on the outside. How a teaching really makes me feel decides whether or not it's true or whether or not it should be set aside and discarded. And what we will see from from 2 Peter 1 is that we're never to discount the subjective nature of our faith. Our faith is subjective. We experience Christ, but rather what he's going to show us is that we are to prioritize the objective found in the Bible. In other words, we submit everything to the Bible. Every teaching that 
that is taught in this church needs to come from the Bible. (laughs) Every decision that we make in this church and every decision you make in your household, in your workplace, needs to come from the framework of Scripture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, every thought is to be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. And I think the fact that he has to, to tell us that means that we are very prone to have thoughts and feelings that aren't submitted to Jesus. Because our, our thoughts and our feelings are often in flux, are they not? They're fluid. They can change depending on circumstances. For, for instance... Uh, my thoughts on how best to raise a child have changed quite a bit now that I have a child. And what we need is a rock that's going to endure, that's not going to move, and it's going to speak to any and every situation that we find ourselves in. And our great God has given us this rock in the Bible. And the problem is we long for the subjective, do we not? We, we long for the experience. We, we long for the feelings. Not realizing that we're, we're sinners and we're prone to even misunderstanding our own feelings, our own experiences. Because we're finite. We make mistakes. But the reality is, for most of us, if, if not all of us, we would much prefer the, the mountaintop experience, right? the cold chills and the bursting in tears, we would much prefer that rather than what we see as just another boring Bible study. We want the spectacular and we discount the mundane. But this is exactly backwards from what God has given us. He gives us the objective, and what we are to build our lives on is what he says and not what we feel. In our passage this morning, we're going to hear from a man, Peter, right, who had all the experience we could ever crave. And yet he tells us to to pursue, to pay attention to something more sure. So, So here's my desire for you today. Okay, kind of cards on the table. This is what I'm, I'm hoping for. I want you to love and trust your Bibles more than you do your own opinions, your own feelings, and your own experiences. Right? That, that's what I want to see in this church. I want you as an individual, this as a church, to build your life on what the Bible says is true rather than our own experience. Because ultimately, God is the author of Scripture. So experience is great. Peter doesn't hesitate to say that. But having a Bible is greater. And it's far more necessary for our lives on this side of eternity. And we need to understand this. And we need to actually live like we believe it. So hopefully you are in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to break this up into two, two sections. So I'll start in verses 16 through 18, and then we will finish in 19 through 21 later on. This is the word of God. Peter says, For we did not follow 
cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the, and the voice was born to him from or by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to the time where we are looking at your word, and this is your word. And Lord, what we need is a rock that's not our own opinions, not my opinions, not my feelings, not my experience. God, we need a word from you. We need an eternal word that will not change. And Lord, you've given us this word in your Son. And his work has, has been accomplished. He's crucified. He's risen. He's reigning. That will never change. And you've given us your word in the Bible. And so I pray that this, this sermon over the next few minutes would just give us a deeper love and a deeper trust in your Bible. We don't discount experience, but we want to elevate in our minds your word. And I pray for your glory. And in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so, so Peter begins this passage, as you can see, by contrasting Christianity with the common myths of the day. For we, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so think Greek and Roman mythology. These myths, these, these fables... They're, they're stories, right? And they're meant to, to teach a moral lesson. I think for us, uh, you can think fairy tales that you'll read to your young kids. They're meant to teach a moral lesson, maybe what to do explicitly, maybe kind of implicitly. This is, this is not the way you should go. Right? But they're, they're stories. In, in Greek and Roman mythology, you have these thrilling tales of, of bravery, of, of self-sacrifice. But again, they're just stories. They're, they're not based in fact and, and myths and fables. They're, they're not all that concerned with that. They don't pretend to care whether or not it's actually true. It's the story that matters. And, and Peter says, we don't follow that. We did not follow these cleverly devised myths. So they're clever, they make sense, but they're, they're myths. But Christianity, on the other hand, it's true. The Bible cares a great deal about the, the historicity of our faith. So, so Peter is basing his argument not on this, this moral teaching, but, what on, but on what he actually saw. Okay, so, so the gospel of Jesus in Peter's mind is not just a helpful story that will help us go about our daily lives. It's actually true. And that matters to him. And we need to remember that, that when you come to church and, and whoever it is that's up here will open the word of God, what we are preaching is the truth. So when we're going through Acts, this actually happened. 
But Peter, in arguing against myths, does so because he himself is an eyewitness. Do you see that? He's speaking to us about an experience, about what he actually saw. And I, I find it interesting that, that Peter, could have, Peter could have given, as an example, a lot of different things, right? Peter could have, talked about, could have uh, spoken about seeing the resurrected Christ. He could have talked about him feeding the 5,000. He could have talked about a lot of different things. But in this moment, what he opts to, to speak about is what we know as the event of the Mount of Transfiguration. You guys remember this story? That Peter was actually on the mountain along with James and, and John when Jesus was, was transfigured before their eyes. He, he saw it all. That's what he says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He saw it. And if there's any scene from the ministry of Jesus that I think would, at least for me, leave an indelible mark I think this is one of those moments. Like, do, do you remember this story? Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus goes up on the mountain. He takes along with him Peter and James and John. He doesn't take all 12. He takes these three people. And, and while they're up there, do you remember what happens? Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. Like his face starts shining. <laughs> like it, it, it starts shining forth. And his clothes, the, the gospel tells us, become this dazzling white, such that no person on earth could possibly bleach. Like he, he's radiating in this moment glory. His, his own glory is shining forth. That, it, that glory has always been his, but it's been concealed. It's been veiled. It's been disguised, if you will, in his humanity. But they're getting a front row seat to this glory. There was a TV show uh, a few years back, I don't know if it's still on, uh, that was entitled Undercover Boss. Any of you ever seen this show, Undercover Boss? So the premise of the show was this, this boss of the company, he's the owner, he could be the CEO, whatever it is, he'll, he'll go undercover and he'll disguise himself, kind of put on a fake beard, whatever, and he'll go into his own business at like an entry-level position. And he will get to see firsthand how his company is, is being run. He'll get to see how managers interact with the employees they're supposed to be managing. He will get trained by an employee. He will get to see how his employees interact with the customers, whether they're rude, whether they're hardworking, and they he wouldn't be able to see this otherwise, because if the boss walks in, everybody straightens up, right? <laughs> but he goes undercover, and, and sometimes things went well. Right? The employees are very hardworking, despite some, some terrible circumstances that they're dealing with, and they're working hard, they're loving the customers, and, and sometimes it, it didn't go well. And sometimes the employees are, are lazy, sometimes they're mean, making fun of customers, and at the end of the show, if you'll remember, there's this big reveal. So they got two chairs set up, and they will bring in the employees one by one, except this time the guy sitting across from them isn't in the disguise. He's back in his suit and tie. 
and they'll come in and he'll, he'll commend them, maybe give them a bonus, maybe he has to discipline them, maybe he fires them, whatever happens. But one by one, as the individuals come in, they're usually pretty shocked, right? Because they'd gotten to know this individual, but now they're actually seeing him as he really is. This is that type of moment for Peter. He's followed Jesus around. He's watched him do incredible works. He's heard incredible sermons. He's witnessed his love for others. But, but now, on this mountain, he, he sees. <laughs> he sees his glory. Christ's glory is unveiled. Peter gets a front row view to the glory of Christ that is Christ's. But along with this, if you'll remember, he, he's not alone on the mountain. He has two individuals with him. You guys remember? Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. They're talking to Jesus. Now, for the Jewish person, there aren't many names that are more important in the Old Testament than Moses and Elijah, both as individuals, both what they did, but also kind of what they represent. Moses representing the law as the, the mediator of the law. Elijah representing the prophets, even though he didn't write any Old Testament books he is kind of the, the prototypical prophet. If you think prophet, you think Elijah. So not only are these two individuals important, but they really represent the entire Old Testament. And they're talking to Jesus. And do you remember what they're talking about? Luke chapter 9, verse 31. They're talking about Jesus' upcoming departure. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his departure from earth back to the Father. That's the topic of conversation. And Peter sees this. He's, he's there. And if that isn't enough, the Father, the God of the universe, speaks. He, he speaks, not in a, like, oh, I felt the Lord leading in my heart. Like, no, he audibly speaks. Everybody can hear him speak. And this is what Peter records that he spoke. This is my beloved son. This is verse 17. With whom I am well pleased. They heard this. They, they heard God the Father say, this is my son. With whom I am well pleased. Even before Jesus goes to the cross, the Father is pleased with his Son. Peter isn't making this up. He was there. He, he heard it. He saw it. He was an eyewitness. And this would be a dream come true for most of us, would it not? <laughs> to, to be on the mountain, to, to see the glory of Christ on display such a such a clear manner for a lot of us this is this is what we long for like we crave this type of experience we would trade anything to have it we believe god if you would if you would just show me your glory like that like it would eliminate all my doubts and for the rest of my life you you do that for me you show me your glory and that way i will follow you for the rest of my life like we long for that experience, and we're jealous of Peter. But it's, it's so surprising 
Because at this moment, Peter shifts the focus. He shifts away from the experience he got to have to something else. Look at verses 19 through 21. He says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have something more sure, the prophetic word. Like, how comforting is that? Like, we possess something more sure than that type of experience. Because we can sometimes think that we're not as blessed as the original disciples because we don't get to see Jesus walking around. Kind of like feel cheated at times, do we not? Like, we're lacking something that we, we really need. We can't have the same level of confidence in Jesus as the early church. They got to see him. That's not fair. But Peter disagrees. <laughs> As Christians, we have something more sure, more firm, more reliable than even an experience like the transfiguration of Christ. We have the scripture. We have the word of God. And, and in your walk with Jesus, you need something firm to build your life upon. You do. You're going to build it on something, and we cannot build upon feelings that we have in the presence of God. As glorious as these moments are, and for the student, if you're a student here, think like church camp. Think like Wednesday or Thursday night church camp, right? Those types of highs. But as glorious as those moments are, they will eventually end, will they not? They'll end this side of eternity. And if your foundation, if what you're craving, if what you're longing for is this type of subjective experience, then what you will do is run from place to place seeking that high. Because that, that's the only option, right? When that feeling is over, I've got to find it again. So when the songs at, at this church no longer induce you to have cold chills, and when them... When the worship team belting out the song no longer induces you to start crying, like, oh, it's time to go. Something must be wrong. Happens all the time. People leave. But what we need is the Bible. What we need is a daily reading of Scripture in order to hear directly from God. If you want to hear from God, pick up your Bible. And we cannot wait until we feel like it. If you're waiting until you have a deep feeling of the presence of God, you will keep waiting. So, so what we need in this church 
is to hear the Word of God faithfully preached week in and week out. What we need are 3D groups that are going to teach the Word of God. What we need are songs that are going to convey the truth of Scripture. Like, we don't need the flashy. We need the Word. And that's why I love this, this worship team. Because not only are they phenomenal, uh, phenomenally talented, like, their desire, because I've, I've talked to them, like, their desire is to help lead you to worship God. That's their goal. We need the Bible. But let me say this in a different way. If, if you have a choice, if you have the choice to, to be on the Mount of Transfiguration, you get to be there, you get to see what Peter saw, you get to hear what he heard, but you don't get a Bible. Or, you can have your Bible, and you won't get that mountain type, mountaintop type of experience. You need to choose your Bible a hundred times out of a hundred. Because that experience could be and certainly would be life-changing, but it will end. The high will lower The day-to-day grind will set in. But your Bible's not going to change. It will always be true. It will always be helpful. And it will always show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that the book you have in your laps right now is the greatest material treasure you can possess this side of eternity. In it, we see and get to know our treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. And without it, we're not going to know Him. Your Bible is the most precious possession you own. It is that valuable. Because we need a revelation of God written by God. And so the question you have to ask is, like, do you see it as that valuable? Do you see your Bible that you have as precious? Is it a treasure? Or is it an old book that is probably helpful, probably got some good stuff in there, but I'm really busy. I really don't have time to read it. Because you'll, you'll have to decide that for yourself. But if we understand rightly what the Word of God is, how valuable it is, how precious it is, then we will obey Peter's next words. Do you see it? Verse 19, To which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He says, Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So, so we have this treasure. We have this treasure that's more sure than any experience we could ever possibly have. We can trust it with our lives. We can trust it with our eternities. What do we do? What should we do? Peter says you would do well to pay attention to it. 
you would do well to pay attention to it. You would do well to read it. You would do well to study it, to, to carefully search it for its true meaning. We would do well not to neglect it, not to leave it sitting on the side. We would do well to hear it preached week in and week out. We would do well to take heed of every opportunity that we have to be a part of a group that studies the Bible. We would do well to apply it to our lives. Not just in express commands, but every implication of the Bible applied to our lives. You would do well to pay attention to it. We would do well to pay attention because Scripture, he says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And the world is dark. It is a dark place. And it's not going to get any better. And what you desperately need is a lamp. You need something to help light your path, to, to shine forth, to, to guide us. Because culture is telling us to follow our heart. That's terrifying. Like, is that, is that just me? Like, this whole notion of follow your heart, like, I know what's in my heart. I don't really want to follow it. I don't, I don't trust my heart. And if we rely on our own sentiments, which is what following our heart does, and we follow emotional pulls, then we're going to be led to, to some pretty dangerous theology, some pretty dangerous practices. Because what we like and what we don't like cannot dictate what the Bible says. So, so we come to the Bible with a posture of obedience rather than with a, with a knife to cut away what we don't like. And this, this happens a lot. And in fact, uh, Thomas Jefferson, if you remember, is the, the third president of the United States. Did you know if you go to Monticello right now, you can actually purchase a Jefferson Bible? Did you know that's a real thing? So Jefferson took a, a few different Bibles and he took a razor and cut away what he did not like. Anything miraculous, anything that hinted at the supernatural, gone. He, he cut away. He literally cut away. Because his Jesus is a great moral teacher. We don't need any of that supernatural nonsense. And I fear we often do the exact same without realizing it. So when our our experience, what our feelings, when they get to define what love is, when they get to define how the church should be run or who Jesus is, then we're cutting away. And we're disobeying Peter when he says to pay attention to it. And not only, I think even worse, we're, we're not just disobeying a command, but we're actually dishonoring the author of the book. Who is God? Who is 
the Spirit. I don't, I don't watch a ton of television shows anymore. Usually Frozen or Encanto is on in our household. I don't watch a ton of television shows, but, but one genre I, I've grown to really like are, are shows that have to do with lawyers. I love it. Like, I love watching them, and I, I think if the Lord had not called me to ministry, I think law is something that I would, I would have loved to do. Maybe it's just because I like to argue. I don't know. But, but one of the most interesting parts of these shows is how the characters, they're the lawyers, they'll, they'll take their client, and, and their, their client's in trouble, and so they will manipulate contracts to, to get them out of trouble, right? Their client says, hey, I'm in this contract, it's airtight, I don't want to fulfill it, I need out. And so the lawyer's job is basically to find a loophole, right? To find a word, to find a phrase, and, and kind of twist it and kind of backdoor their way out. And it, it's fascinating for me to watch, but it's usually pretty underhanded. And I can see this happen in churches all across the country. Like we twist words of scripture in order to fit our agenda. Or if they don't, then we just ignore them. Those aren't for me. We redefine words, we discard context when it's convenient rather than submit ourselves to the Bible. We don't care about what the words of Scripture mean if they don't agree with us. We, we can't act like we're smarter than God. Like, this cannot be an option for believers. Your job is to read, study, and obey. Anything less is disobedience. But, but the glorious reality is that though we are to cherish our Bibles, love our Bibles, spend time reading and studying our Bibles, we will not always need our Bibles. That, that's wonderful. Do you see it? Still in 19? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When the day dawns, the morning star rises. This is when Christ comes back. So when Jesus returns, the darkness will flee. The, the day will come. The work will have been completed. The harvest will be ready to be enjoyed. The war is going to be over. The battles have been fought and so as good soldiers, what do we do when the war is over? We lay down our swords, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's, it's at that moment, when Christ returns, that, that faith will be sight. That we'll, we'll get to see Him. <laughs> that experience you are craving, to be in the presence of God, that's when it happens. That's when your experience will really begin. And it won't be a mountaintop high that, that lowers. It'll actually continue, only ever increasing. Like, that's the day we long for. That's, that's the experience. And it's coming. It's coming. But until that day we cling to our Bibles. 
And the reason we do this, and we do this with confidence, we love our Bibles, is because God is the author. Do you see it? It didn't originate from man, didn't come from man's own interpretation, 20, right? Knowing that, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So, so man didn't come up with it. It didn't originate in him. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is how Peter completes his thought. Why do we trust the Bible? Why do we love the Bible? Because God wrote the Bible. Peter's not against experience. Contrary to myths, contrary to, to fables, the Bible is historical. Peter was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness of the unveiling of the glory of Christ on the mountain. There's eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. This is real. And then, praise God, God had those witnesses infallibly write them down for us. So that what we need is not the experience, but the Bible. So that our faith your faith sitting there can rest not ultimately in your own experience of God, but in what God has said. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Because I, I promise you, if you're craving experience, it will never be enough. You, you think it's going to eliminate all your doubts, but it's not going to. You think twisting Scripture because... You, you don't like what it has to say. is going to fix problems, but it's not. Don't forget that an entire generation of Israelites saw God do ten miraculous plagues against Egypt. They, they saw God work. Undeniably God. They left Egypt. They saw the sea split. They walked on dry land. They saw the sea close over the Egyptians. <laughs> they were led into the wilderness. They were led by a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were fed with this bread that just came up every morning. And they still disobeyed God. That entire generation died in the wilderness outside of the promised land. You think an experience is going to solve your problems? You can ask them. <laughs> and I, I want you to see this in, in one more passage. We'll read a little bit of this passage and then we'll, we'll close up. Luke chapter 16. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's the, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You might be familiar with this. Passage. In this passage, Jesus is teaching us a parable. And there's two men. There's the rich man who has it all. There's Lazarus who's the poor man who doesn't have anything. Both of them die. Lazarus goes to, to heaven, to Abraham's bosom, where, he, where he's comforted. The rich man, you remember, he goes to hell. 
And, and the rich man can see Abraham. He can see Lazarus. He says, Father, Father Abraham, could you, could you please just send Lazarus? I'm, I'm in agony here. Could you just have him touch the end of his finger in some cool water and just, just touch the end of my tongue? Abraham says, no. There's a chasm here. You can't cross to us. We can't cross to you. And so the rich man shifts. But, 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 but I, have, I have five brothers. You can't send Lazarus to, to me to help me send him back to my five brothers. I don't want them to come to this place. Look at 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the scripture. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I think that's, that's our thinking, right? Just, just show them the spectacular. They'll turn. There's 31. He said to them, to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what the brothers need is Scripture. If they aren't convinced to, to follow Christ, to repent and turn to Christ, then someone rising from the dead is not going to be enough. That experience will end. So brothers and sisters, we crave the spectacle, but we need the Bible. Your greatest need is for the Bible. And we among every, I'd say this very seriously, every generation of Christians who have come before us, we have less of an excuse as to why we don't know our Bible. We have more access to the Bible than any other group at any other point in the history of the church. Like, the amount of Bibles I have on my shelf is, is terrible. We have no excuse for not knowing the Bible. We, you, will not mature as a Christian, grow in your love for Jesus, which I believe most of us, we want to grow. We want to love Jesus in a deeper way. And it's not going to happen if you neglect the Bible. We will not be Christ's church. We will not impact the valley. We will not reach the world. We will not treasure Jesus if we are inattentive to the Bible. Our emotional responses and actions have got to be checked by it. Our doctrine and our practice have to come from the Word. So, so the question that remains... Will we as a church, and oftentimes I think we kind of keep it broad because we don't like to, to deal with God ourselves. How about you as an individual? So you're a follower of Christ. You've been a Christian for a day or 50 years. You as an individual follower of Christ, will you pay attention to the word given by God? Written by God that shows us Christ, that is a lamp in the dark world. 
or will you choose to ignore it? Will you close it when I close mine, take it home, leave it on kitchen table, leave it on the bedside table, and you'll open it again when Pastor Daniel gets up next week? I can only answer the question for myself because here's, here's the truth, and I, I share it frequently with the students. We can do a lot for you. We can teach as clearly as we can. But what, what I can't do for you is make you care. I can't. I can't make you love the Bible. I can't make you care about your relationship with Jesus. I can't do it. I can only answer for myself. So, as we finish with, uh, I assume, one final song, what I want you to, to deal with the Lord is, do you cherish the Bible? Because in cherishing the Bible, we're not cherishing a book, we're treasuring God. Like We're treasuring Jesus. Because it's in the Bible that we see Jesus. So will you be committed to actually cherishing your Bible because you love Jesus? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. Because you did not have to reveal yourself to us. But you chose to in your son and you chose to record it in the pages of sacred scripture. And I pray Lord, I know there's, there's people out here that have a variety of, of views. And Lord, some might not like what I just said. But Lord, what we need is what you have given to us. And so I pray that our commitment would be for Christ. And in being committed to Christ, we're committed to his word. So Lord, I pray that you would stir in all of us a greater love for Jesus. And in doing so, a greater love for, desire for, and a commitment to reading, studying, loving, obeying your word. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.